Hello and welcome to this mini episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McWibby. I am your host as always. Renoites is the weekly podcast where I talk to all sorts of folks from Northern Nevada. And these mini episodes I've done a handful of are a way for you to enjoy those stories and guests in a little bit shorter format. Normally, Reno White's episodes are about an hour. This one is about half an hour, so good for a short commute, that kind of thing. I'm excited to welcome to the show Peter Stanton. He is the executive director of Walker Basin Conservancy, an organization that is working to secure water rights for the Walker River to raise the level at Walker Lake. Walker Lake used to support a lot of fish and wildlife. It does not do so now because of all of the diversion upstream. They're working on correcting that and hopefully having fish back at Walker Lake and restoring the lake. Very important work that they're doing, and it was great to learn so much about it. I appreciate Peter coming on the show to tell us all about it. If you enjoy the show, please do me a favor and spread the word. Tell your friends, tell family, share social media posts. Word of mouth makes a huge difference for a show like this, and I really appreciate all of your support. If you have suggestions for future guests or ideas for episodes, shoot me an email. My address is Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. And now this week's guest, Peter Stanton. Peter Stanton from the Walker Basin Conservancy. Welcome to Renoites. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to talk to you about nature stuff because we do a lot of local topics that are about cities and urbanization and the things that I'm mostly focused on on the show is like in Reno, but it's a Reno area. It's a Northern Nevada podcast. And so much of the stuff that happens just outside of Reno really affects what we do here too. So tell me a little bit about the Walker Basin Conservancy. Like what is the organization and what's the focus? What are you trying to do? Yeah. So the Walker Basin Conservancy is a Nevada and California nonprofit. We work in the Walker River watershed, which is just south of Reno. And we'll talk a bit more about that, but we work to restore the flows of the Walker River. So to increase how much water is flowing through the Walker River, ultimately to reestablish a fishery at Walker Lake. And then to contribute to the overall resilience of our communities in the Walker Basin. So that's Yerrington, Smith Valley, Colville, Walker, and Bridgeport. Okay, gotcha. Tell me a little bit more about the Walker River because it's low right now and used to sustain fish life and now it doesn't. What's been the history of the river that's led to kind of its current state? Yeah, so the Walker River, first of all, just to orient all of our listeners to it. So the Walker River basically starts at the eastern border of Yosemite. So if you're in Bridgeport, California, a lot of folks are driven 395 south. Mm -hmm. If you're looking up at the mountains in Bridgeport, that's where the Walker River watershed starts. And it flows through four agricultural valleys, two on the California side, two on the Nevada side. Then onto the Walker River Reservation, where the river takes a big south turn towards Walker Lake. And, you know, most folks uh, in the Reno area know Walker Lake because it's on the road from Reno to Vegas, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks have been doing that drive for quite some time and have seen the decline of Walker Lake over time. So it's important, I think, to understand our work to understand the history of Walker Lake as well. So Walker Lake is the the traditional homeland of the Agai Dakota or Walker River Paiute in Numu their native language, a guy to cut it means trout eaters. Hmm. So really speaks to the importance of the fishery at Walker Lake and on what we call the lower Walker River for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. As late as the 1980s, Walker Lake supported about half of the Mineral County economy as well, primarily through tourism and recreation, right? Mm. So there were boat races, there were fishing derbies. Have you ever fished at Pyramid Lake? 
Uh, I have not, but I know a lot of folks do. Yeah, trophy trout, right? We get Lahontan cutthroat trout up to, you know, waist-high trout. And that's the kind of fishery that Walker Lake had. However, upstream diversion of the Walker River, so the use of the flows of the Walker River for agriculture, Mm -hmm. has decreased the amount of water flowing into the lake. And as the water's gone down, the salt doesn't evaporate out. So it's become too saline to support fish life of any kind. Mm. So what used to be a trophy trout fishery, what used to be the biggest stopover point for loons west of the Mississippi, there was an annual loon festival in Hawthorne, Nevada, mm. is in a state of complete ecological collapse today. So the last Lahontan cutthroat trout came out of Walker Lake in 2009. The last loon festival was held around that time. And again, that's primarily due to upstream diversion mm-hmm. for agriculture of the Walker River. Yeah. What, was there an understanding when all this diversion started happening that the downstream effects would effectively kill Walker Lake? Or is this something that no one could have known? What was the the process along the way as this started and continued to happen? It's a great question. So the earliest reference I've seen to that issue was in the 1880s. There was, exactly, (laughs) like we knew that this has been going on for quite some time, right? And then we can talk about the lake, we can talk about the lower river, but to do so is to overlook human communities, right? So the community of Shurs is on the Walker River Reservation. The community of Hawthorne is on the south shore of Walker Lake. And we've seen for decades the Walker River run dry just below Shurs, right? And again, that's due to upstream diversion for agriculture. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we work on at the Conservancy, right, is increasing the flows of the Walker River by decreasing the amount of water that's diverted. Mm -hmm. I see kind of Walker Lake and the lower Walker River as a barometer for how sustainable the entire economy is in that region, right? And so if that stretch of river that's going dry is moving closer to our agricultural communities, we've got big problems. Mm -hmm. And if we can sustain and reestablish a fishery at the end in conjunction with sustainable agriculture in the region, we've got a real strong base for generations to come in the region. Yeah. So what is the focus of the Conservancy? Is it working with water rights and figuring out how to keep more of the water in the river than in the agricultural areas? And what kind of pushback or criticism, I imagine, farmers... It's water in the the West. Yeah, it's water in the West. So that's exactly what we do at the Conservancy. We work to increase the flows of the Walker River and reestablish a fishery at Walker Lake. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we've worked on water transfers with 155 ranchers and farmers throughout the region. So really wide reach, a lot of community support and interaction in everything that we do in the region. So what does that look like? You know, we have done a temporary leasing of water rights. So basically farmers can get paid to send their water to Walker Lake for a year Mm. rather than divert it. We've also done 23 permanent acquisitions and protections of water. So in those, we're acquiring water rights that have historically been used primarily to grow alfalfa. And then instead of diverting those water rights, administering it, protecting it in stream through the entirety of the Walker River and on to Walker Lake. Hmm. We were able to do that for the first time in 2019. So wrapping up our fourth year of in-stream protection Hmm. in the Walker. 
Again, talked about 155 ranchers and farmers, pretty wide adoption throughout the region. Uh, We've also had the opportunity to create a lot of public access. So in addition to water rights, we purchase uh, land that has historically been irrigated. Um, Through those acquisitions, we've been able to create a new state park on the East Walker River. That's Mm. called the Walker River State Recreation Area. That's opening about 12,000 acres to the public. And we were really excited to see in the first three years, there were 100,000 visitors to the state park, right? right. So in a pretty remote rural setting, great visitation. And I think really speaks to our, especially our audience here in Reno, Mm. it's two hours door to door, right? And it's like another world on the East Walker River. It's a really cool opportunity. Mm. As we've reduced the total irrigation demand in the region, we've really prioritized acquiring ranches that have particular conservation value or public access value. Mm. And and over the last decade, we've created public access to about 29 miles of the Walker River that has historically been in private ownership and not open to public access. So if you're here in Reno and you haven't made the trip down to Yarrington to visit the Mason Valley Wildlife Management Area, or you haven't been out on the East Walker to see the State Rec area, it's a pretty awesome place. And and those are really new opportunities that didn't exist 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. What has the process been like as far as working with other agencies and governments? And obviously, this is it's two different states. It is, I'm sure, a plethora of different private and public organizations that you have to work with. What does that look like as an organization that is dealing with a watershed that crosses a number of different lines and has a lot of different constituencies. Yeah. Not only does it have a lot of different constituencies, water underpins everything, right? And that's not just agriculture, not just the environment, but any form of economic development. We're talking about housing growth, population growth in these regions as well. Water is the limiting factor in our region on all of those axes. So there's never a dull moment in the Walker. There's always another group of stakeholders, another uh, organization, but you know, you hit on a lot of it. So we work with two states, multiple federal land management organizations, a ton of BLM land, ton of forest service land in the region. Mm-hmm. We work very directly with the state of Nevada and state parks, as well as the Nevada Department of Wildlife, the Walker River Irrigation District. You know, we're in basically daily communication on the administration of water in the region. Also, California Department of Fish and Wildlife on the operation of the reservoirs, right? So there's no shortage of potential partnerships here. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty fascinating. So when we protect water rights, We do it by amending this piece of litigation that goes back to 1920, right? So since 1920, the United States, the Walker River Irrigation District, and the Walker River Paiute Tribe have been in a lawsuit over the administration of water rights in the region, right? Mm -hmm. And what I have found in my two years with the Conservancy is that there's more common ground between all of these parties than might meet the eye on the surface, right? So we're able to put together projects that get parties that have been in litigation for a hundred plus years on the same page and Mm -hmm. working together towards concrete improvements in the watershed. And that's managing things like sediment in the river and stabilizing the banks and ensuring that the river continues to provide meaningful habitat as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about the physical work of managing, like you're mentioning infrastructure and things that 
physically you have to do to move water, maintain water, those kind of things. And also the political part of your work of this is negotiations and this is persuading people about what the way things need to be. Can you talk about the difference of those two things, particularly in your role and particularly your organization? What is the balance of those things and kind of what's your experience been of the different elements of moving water? Great question. Yeah. So most of our on-the-ground work is surrounding habitat improvement. So like I said, we're taking historic alfalfa fields out of production and basically converting them from alfalfa monoculture to meaningful wildlife habitat. Mm. So that's reestablishing native plant communities, that's controlling for agricultural weeds. A lot of our on-the-ground work has to do with reestablishing native plants and changing the way that water moves through these historic hay fields, right? Mm. In addition to all that, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? We maintain probably at this point miles of irrigation ditch and irrigation infrastructure. I've done a ton of work with other landowners and agencies to improve the efficiency of conveyance of water as well, because that's a huge challenge for a lot of ranchers in the region. Mm-hmm. In terms of what protecting water looks like, uh, what it looks like to, to broker some of these deals, it's all just human to human at the end of the day. I could go on for hours about uh, the history of litigation and what that's looked like. But at the end of the day, it's sitting down with people who may not be entirely supportive of reducing the footprint of agriculture, mm-hmm. but understanding that if we want to have a sustainable future, we've got to find a way to work together to increase the flows of the river, right? I've had the opportunity in this job to learn a whole lot from people who have extensive experience in understanding how water moves through the landscape and the connection of human communities to the Walker River. Every time that we're talking about a a new acquisition or a new lease or protecting water on a permanent basis, it's another opportunity to learn and to meet the needs of our communities. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the Walker Basin Paiute tribe and their involvement in these decisions, because I know a lot of times when we talk about how we're affecting the land, it's the indigenous communities who are very often ignored or left behind. What is that relationship like and how much influence or power comes from the tribe itself? What is their role in all of this discussion as things are happening? Great question. So the Walker River Paiute tribe have a reservation that covers about 30 miles of the lower Walker River. And that means that we work with them on a daily basis during the irrigation season on moving water through the system. And we're in a position where our interests and the tribe's interests align very directly. The more water moving through the reservation, the more efficiently their water rights move through the reservation, as well as bringing that stretch of river and ultimately Walker Lake back to life. Mm -hmm. Walker Lake was originally part of the reservation. It was carved out around the turn of the 20th century, primarily because people thought that there was gold in the hills above Walker Lake. And there is actually gold in the hills, but not enough to be economically viably mined yet. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we're doing requires direct consultation with the tribe. So we were able to add a historic hay ranch to the reservation in partnership with the tribe. And then when we make acquisitions before we 
formally move forward with protecting that water long term, we're in direct consultation with the tribe on what that's going to look like. Excellent. What's the progress so far? I understand you have over 50% of the water that your goal for getting water back into the lake, you're over halfway there. How long does that take? How long do you expect it to take if you continue kind of on the trajectory you're on? What's the status? As you mentioned, over the first 10 years of the program, we've acquired about 53% of the water needed long-term to reestablish a fishery at Walker Lake and maintain that. Mm -hmm. And just to put that in context, that's enough to cover about four residential lots in Reno in about five miles of water. It's a ton of water. Yeah. So that's, as far as we know, more water than has been acquired by a single entity for a single environmental benefit in North America. It is a hugely ambitious project and and a lot of progress in the first decade of that project. So, you know, you kind of carry that forward and we're looking at finishing up the acquisitions for water rights in the next decade here in this region. And then what happens after that as we protect that water in stream, increase the floats of the river and bring the lake back up, a ton of that has to do with climactic variation. So we'll be increasing the base flows of the Walker River. It will still fluctuate widely year to year. And we're seeing that this year and really seeing the hope that underpins this program this year. So in 2023, we had a historic winter. This is the second highest precipitation we've seen in the Walker Basin. Forecasted record discharge. We're still seeing flows well above average for this time of year in the Walker. And that's led to Walker Lake coming up 15 feet this hmm. year. Oh, wow. 15 vertical feet. So we were talking a while ago with the U.S. Geologic Survey. They do a lot of the water monitoring in the West. Mm -hmm. And if we saw two back-to-back winters like this and and flows like this, we'd be seriously talking about reestablishing a fishery at Walker Lake. That's how big of a year it's been. It's also how much the year-to-year climactic variation impacts the the restoration of the lake as well. Mm -hmm. So we're at the point where it's human decisions that are driving the long-term trajectory of Walker Lake. At the same time, one of the biggest things that I can do to be successful in my job is to pray for rain and snow, right? (laughs) Yeah, big time. Yeah. What can other big projects learn from this? So my understanding is you said this is a really big, ambitious project and water in the West is a major issue, not just right here in North Nevada, but we hear about it everywhere. It's California, it's Arizona, it's the Colorado. It's a continuing issue across a huge region of the United States. So what kind of copy pastes from what you're doing here to other projects or what are the learnings from this that can really be applied in other areas for other river systems and so on yeah i think especially for northern nevada it's important to note too like what we've learned from and and one of the Mm. clear examples there is pyramid lake and pyramid lake was on a trajectory to lose its fishery And it was through renegotiation and and the establishment of the Truckee River Operating Agreement, which kind of governs how water moves through the Truckee today, uh, that the Pyramid Lake Paiute Tribe and the United States government were able to save the fishery at Pyramid Lake. First of all, we know that increasing flows of a river like the Walker can save lakes. And that's huge. Mm. That is huge. The second piece that we've learned throughout this is you have to take a comprehensive approach. 
Throughout the Western United States, there are tons of regions where they've tried fallowing fields for a year at a time, paying farmers not to farm. And you do see year-to-year improvements based on that. But in order to drive lasting change in river systems that have less water rights than irrigated acreage like we do in the Walker and a lot of systems in the West – you have to reduce the total irrigated acreage. And that's a hard truth, but one that we're coming to in watersheds throughout the Western U.S. You see this in the Central Valley as groundwater management starts to take place in California. You're seeing this in the Colorado River system as federal funding has started to become available for what they call it demand reduction. And if you want to see permanent demand reduction in the Western U.S., it means we're going to have to grow less grass in the desert. Mm. Yeah. What is How does that work as far as the economies of these areas that have really relied on agriculture and this kind of farming for decades? What does that look like having those conversations and finding that balance between restoring water for the river and for the Walker Lake, but also not bankrupting communities, that kind of thing. What does that look like? Or what are the fears and what's the reality as far as making these hard decisions and these hard changes? Yeah, I'll speak directly to the Walker in our region and our experience there. So at the beginning of the program, there were all kinds of fears. And to be frank, like really warranted because the messaging is, hey, there's federal funding coming to reduce acreage farmed in your community. And we're 10 years into the project. And the good news is that the sky hasn't fallen. <laughs> and, and seriously. And so the first and foremost, a local entity was established. And local management of the program is such a huge piece of this, right? Being in the community so that we can get this everybody's sense and everybody's feel and the local expertise and local knowledge that can drive real sustainable solutions to this stuff. People were afraid that... You're just going to buy the water and turn it off and what's going to happen to the land? Nobody's going to take responsibility. That's where that comprehensive piece that I mentioned earlier comes into play, right? So for us in the Walker, we can go from wild collecting seed to growing native plants to planting them to monitoring the long-term trajectory and ensuring that they're establishing that we are ensuring that We're taking care of agricultural weeds long-term. We are making sure that it's not just turning to a dust bowl on these Mm -hmm. former agricultural fields. The other piece is ensuring that not only are we providing recreation opportunities, we're connecting communities and connecting business opportunities Mm. to that. And so that's like, you know, we talked about establishing the Walker River State Recreation Area. Over the course of the next year, we're really focusing on how do we drive economic development around this huge public asset. This summer, we did our first summer camp series where we took the Boys and Girls Club kids over the summer from Mason Valley out to the state recreation area. And so ensuring, number one, that as recreation opportunities come online, that the local community benefits economically from it. Number two, bringing local decision-making into the framework of these projects. It doesn't make sense to retire the best farmland in any of these areas. And prior to the conservancy, there wasn't a market to help water rights find the best land. Mm. And so because we can purchase water independently of land, We've been able to facilitate a market where if somebody with water rights on good farmland wants to sell the water rights, 
we can basically play matchmaker and bring other water to this productive land to keep Mm. it in production. And so that's been a huge piece of it. And then the other real lesson, it takes time. In the Walker, we've made this huge commitment that we're going to treat water rights as private property. And we're going to buy water rights back rather than just take them away or cut them off, which has been proposed in other areas. And if we're going to do that, That means we're working with sellers as they become willing to sell. And that takes time. In some areas, we have time. In some areas, we're seeing uh, like precipitous drops in groundwater levels and and real challenges to groundwater dependent ecosystems as well. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved in this work? So you've been at the Walker Basin Conservancy for just like a couple years or so now. Can you talk a little bit about your background and kind of what brought you to the work you're doing here? Oh my goodness. So yeah, I've had the opportunity to lead the organization for going on two years now. And I've worked in uh, nonprofit leadership and fundraising here in Reno, really in the Northern Nevada community for just over a decade now. So I've worked in human services. Uh, Most recently was over at the PBS station. Awesome, awesome group of organizations throughout this region. You know, in my other life, I get to serve on the board of directors of Sierra Avalanche Center. So we do backcountry avalanche forecasting, big backcountry user, trail runner. My wife, my better half is uh, a plant ecologist as well. She studies the plants of the Great Basin. So very familiar with the Walker region and then very familiar with some of the challenges these communities face and the ability to marry my experience with building resilient organizations Mm -hmm. and bring that framework to a project like restoring Walker Lake that can have huge multi-generational impact is incredibly rewarding to me. I'm sure. Uh, How can people who are in Reno participate or get involved? I assume most people are not plant ecologists or water experts or whatever, but you mentioned the recreation is part of the way that projects like this continue to be successful is if normal people who don't know or care anything about water rights find a new way to just enjoy the area is part of the appeal that there's a recreational or a, an appeal to people who are not involved in these organizations or these communities or don't have any knowledge of really how the whole systems work. You don't have to know how a system works to go fishing. So is that part of the idea is that you can bring just anybody, everybody, regular folks on board by creating very simple, easy ways to enjoy the area? That's a big part of it. And so a couple suggestions for folks who want to get involved or want to understand how water fits into their daily life or their recreation a bit better, right? Mm -hmm. Now, first and foremost, it's really easy to drive from Reno down 395 through the Walker River Canyon and have no idea that river flows onto Walker Lake. Just no idea whatsoever. Or to go to Sonora Pass or Twin Lakes outside of Bridgeport and and not have the connection that this is where the water is flowing. So my first suggestion is be curious. If you're out on a lake, is that lake a reservoir? Where's it going? Ask those kinds of questions. Usually, you know, a quick Google uh, will will take care of it or, or, or just pulling up a map on your way out there. So that's one. The second one is when you are out recreating, number one, explore a little bit. Don't be afraid to get off of the beaten path. And then number two, 
make a point to stop in our gateway communities. So you see, you're driving through a little town, you see that the gas is a little bit more expensive. Well, it also has a lot more economic impact if you buy gas there than if you stop at the big chain in Reno before you head out of town. Mm. So that's something to think about. I don't know about you, but I grew up eating small town food and that's where my heart is. So yeah, I'd say restaurants as well are a a great way to come off of the trail or off of the lake and on your way back. If you're not filling up the car, you can fill the belly, that kind of thing. Right. And then in our day-to-day lives, simply ask where your water comes from. For a lot of us on Truckee Meadows Water Authority, that's coming out of the Truckee River, but it's also increasingly coming from groundwater in this area. And you can find out a pretty easily online. Number one, if I'm on a well, is the groundwater in my area going down? What does that mean? Mm. Why is that? And so in, in most areas in northern Nevada, there is pressure in terms of water resources. And we do see municipal, agricultural, industrial, and now increasingly energy and mining demand mm. on water resources in this region. And again, that curiosity, just kind of asking, where's this coming from? How can I get involved with it? Mm. I think goes a long way. Yeah. Where can people learn more or find you on online or connect with you if they want to be more directly involved with the Walker Basin Conservancy? What's the best way for people to do that? Yeah. WalkerBasin.org. Pretty straightforward. Instagram, Facebook, all over social as well. Just WalkerBasin.org is the easiest way to learn more about our project and get involved. Awesome. What else? What did we miss? What else do you want people to know about the work you're doing? If you haven't had the chance to get out to the East Walker and experience the state recreation area. We're talking again, two hours door to door and you'll drive through and out of Yerrington land at a historic ranch house, which is now a visitor center out there. And from there, you've got access to about 65 miles of the East Walker river and it gets real wild, real fast. Super special area. I've had the chance to be to drive all over the Western United States looking at pretty cool river systems, and it's unlike anywhere I've ever been. And then if you haven't been out to Walker Lake this year, it's a different place than it was last year. So the salinity plummeted as we got this massive inflow of water. We've seen in the kayak races were back this year. We've seen increased in boating. We had our whole team out there swimming and paddle boarding and everything. It's just been an absolute joy. And especially as we start to head into the fall season, it's real nice out at Walker Lake as well. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and and talking about it. I'm always excited to learn about things that are happening outside of Reno. I'm very much more of a city boy than I used to be. I think I was more outdoorsy earlier in my life. So I spend less time out there. But hearing about all the things to do, all the recreation opportunities, just right outside Reno, like one of the things I always talk about being so amazing about this place is we have all this great outdoor stuff. So being able to talk to people who are actively working on maintaining it and telling us about the great things that are out there is always pretty great to have on the show. So I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this mini episode of Renoites. Let me know what you think of the format. I know shorter episodes sometimes are better for folks. What did you think? Shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R at renoites.com, or send me a message on Instagram, also a great way to get a hold of me. My handle on Instagram is at renoites. 
If you enjoyed the show and want to support the work that I'm doing here, you can also contribute financially to Renoid. So this is a listener-funded podcast. You may have noticed there were not any ads in this episode. The only way that that is able to happen is from donations, contributions from listeners just like you. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash renoites. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash renoites. We'll be back on Tuesday with a brand new normal full episode, this one with Jill Vakina Dobbs from the SPCA of Nevada, all about the work they're doing at the SPCA around animal rescue, pet adoptions, and the rest. Check that one out on Tuesday, and have a great weekend. <laughs>